Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors.
Written into this story is the grim death of a traffic officer who fell mortally wounded because he was part of this great law enforcement body dedicated to a 24-hour-a-day warfare against crime. Likewise, this story discloses the heroism of a motorcycle officer too faithful to his trust of protecting the public to flinch even when his body was riddled with enough bullets to frighten the average criminal to death. Listen intently. Let this thrilling story impress you that it is your job as a citizen to cooperate with your police department in order that its routine work can be made easier and that it can concentrate upon the great forces of evil. Professor Lindsley will go on with the story. It is the middle of August, 1925. Four men are seated in a stuffy day coat as the Chicago Limited clanks across the yard and slowly rattles over the sidings onto Alameda Street. Yeah, fellas, it won't be long now. Let's kill the rest of this bottle before we put him to the people. Hey, what's the matter, buddy? The better lay off of that stuff. That ain't a scoop. You're telling me? You know, this is the last bottle of the good Chicago bootleg left in the outfit. And if we get into L.A. on this short, though, we'll all have to drink that 75 cent a pint poison they peddle out there. Oh, yeah? Let me tell you something. Anytime this baby drinks bum liquor with all them juicy bangs in Los Angeles waiting to be bumped, you're crazy. You're telling me. Now, listen, you guys. Don't they get it too ambitious. Remember, we're here to get to the door to spring at three fingers apiece. And the sooner we do it, the quicker peach is going to be out in the open air again. Yeah, but why did we pick on Los Angeles? This ain't any town. The United States was banked in it. You're telling me that, Rudy? But I'm going to tell you something. We ain't in any no good standing back in the shy, see? After that holdup at the Lennox Hotel. And this suburb ain't nothing but overgrown the village with a bunch of a moving to picture cops. Ah, it's going to be a pipe. Yeah? So you think the L.A. cops is easy, huh? Sure of it, easy. They ain't never bucked up against any real guys like us from the East. It's gonna be like a taking a candy from a kid. The Chicago boys work fast. In two days, they have staked out the job they intend to pull, and they have also acquired some lady friends. The next night finds them entertaining their companions in a top suey parlor. Well, how you doing, Dave? Oh, gee, I think I'm going to live. Hey, call Fu Man Silver, will you? I want some more mustard. Sure thing. Bertie Hyman never refused a good-looking damn nothing. Hey! Hey! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on there, Oh, yeah. What's, what's the matter? Maybe so. You, you liking something, maybe so? Yeah. Another order of mushrooms for the lady. Uh, bring another bottle of ginger ale, will you? Yeah, and put up this dish again with cracked eyes. Say, haven't you got any music in this stuff? Oh, oh, yeah. You, you like the music? Yo, Chubby, we take the very fine, uh, number one in first class, uh, playing piano. You put it in the nickel, music is coming out. <laughs> I say, big boy, why don't you take us someplace where they have an orchestra? We want to dance, don't we, Betty? Sure, take us where we can dance, will you, handsome? No, nah, not tonight, but a little short on dough. Oh, yeah. Just a bunch of cheap cakes, huh? No, we ain't no cheap cakes. Tomorrow night we'll show you how cheap we are. Say, we're going to pull hey, a job. Pipe it down, buddy. Pipe it down. If it's the time I don't know like our speed, it ain't no reason for us to go into a confession, huh? Ah, oh, don't get that way. We were just kidding. Yeah, wait till I stick it get me in the piano. Well, there you are. There's your music and everything. Come on, baby, let's dance. Say, I sure must be stuck on your hands. Did you get up and try to dance to that racket? 
On down 7th Street, the gun battle waited at 50 miles an hour. Roaring past intersections, they are shouts to traffic policemen who take the comedy of passing cars and join the chase. They are empty his gun. And jamming it under his left arm, he reloads it with his right hand while he steers to the left. The bandit car is momentarily halted by construction work for Tail Street. The man who runs out from the street to warn him around the barriers receives a bullet through his hat. At San Pedro Street, a thick stream of traffic going in the opposite direction draws the bandits up short in the stoplight. Traffic officer Wiley E. Smith, attracted by their screaming siren, turns around as the bandit car comes to a screeching stop. Before Bear can shout a warning to him, a shotgun spits death from the bandit car. Smith sways, drops to the ground, then painfully climbs to his knees, spits out his gun, and starts firing at the bandits as Bear joins him, his revolver spitting fire into the black touring car. Motorists, waiting at the stoplight, hastily scramble to the bottom of their car. They are blind with pain, sickened from the bullet his body has stopped, and the dying Smith are joined by four other officers who come up on the commandeered car. As Bayer steps from the cover of a parked car for a moment, one of the gunmen jumping from the black automobile aims at him. The guns of three of the policemen snuff out the light. Two more bandits jump from the car and streak for a nearby parking station. The officers cut off the escape of the fourth robber and order him to surrender. They're all worked up. Now you don't. We got him in the arm, we yeah. Yeah, let's get the cuffs on him. Hey, you ain't got him yet, get dirty. Nothing oh. like a gun, Dr. Quietum. I'll put the cuffs on him. Yeah. Here comes Stevenson. The last thing I saw of him is half those other two guys. How'd you make out, Stevenson? They got away. I hung on to him until I ran out of ammunition. Say, there. You're hit. Yeah. Well, I'm still on my feet, and something tells me I'm going to stay there till we get this bird to the station. Here comes the ambulance now. There, you better get in, too. No, sir. I'm going to the hospital under my own power. $19,000 is found in a bullet-riddled satchel in the bandit's car as a private automobile carries Officer Smith to the hospital. And the ambulance rushes the wounded bandit to medical help. Inspector Finlinson, attempting to get coherent statements of the case from the excited officers, meets Oscar Bayer in the hospital corridor. Oh, here you are, Bayer. I've been looking every place for you. Oh, I've been right here, Inspector. I'm waiting for word about Wiley. Have you heard anything? He's pretty bad, Oscar. Shot through the lung. He's losing blood fast. Oh, poor Wiley. He's pretty rat shooting him down in cold blood. How's the guy we brought in? Never mind him. I want to know how you are. Oh, I'm okay. I just got a few little scratches. You should have reported to the doctor before this. Oh, I'm all right, Inspector, honestly. Well, I want the doctor's assurance of that. Yeah, but it's silly, sir. It doesn't look silly from the size of that blood stain on your side. Where? Oh, that. I hadn't noticed that before. All right, that settles it. You're seeing the doctor with me right now. Come on. He's in here. Here's the bear, Doctor. He seems to think he's a human target. Look him over, will you? Certainly. All right, young man. Right over here. Flip your uniform off. Yes, sir. Oh! Just a scratch, uh, bear. Yes. Let me see, bear. Yes. Let me help you, boy. Oh! There we are. Hmm. Now, let's get a look at you. Well, young fellow, you must have been born under a lucky star. What do you mean? One bullet headed for your heart was stopped by your badge. Look at this. Hmm. And another... That could have killed you is embedded in your notebook here. See that? Yeah, that, that was close. You know, I, I remember now feeling that hit me. It, it sort of knocked the wind out of me for a moment. Now, let me see. One, two, 
Three flesh wounds. I'll get a dressing on them. Are they serious, Doctor? No, but it's certainly a miracle that they only think the flesh. Any one of them would have killed him if they'd have been an inch nearer the center of his body. Well, there you are, Doctor. I can't get rid of me. Only the good die young. <laughs> Doctor, well, while you're bandaging there, I want to talk to this wounded man. That is, if he's well enough to talk. Yes, I think he... I think it'll be all right, Inspector. He's in the next room, right through that door. Thanks. And, Doctor, see the bear here does what you tell him. If you don't make him go to bed, he'll be out riding his beast this afternoon. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'll see that that doesn't happen. Well, young fellow, how are you? What's it to you? Who are you, anyhow? Who do you suppose? A uh, dick. Well, yes, that is a police officer. Yeah? Well, what do you want? What's your name? Oh, uh, Smith. John Smith. Rather unusual name, isn't it? Oh, don't make a smart attack to cop. What do you want? Well, I want to find out who your partners were and your little deal this morning. Mama don't know. You don't know, eh? That's what I say. I'm only meeting him in the Persian Square yesterday. I don't know what he's doing. Very, very interesting. Oh, uh, yeah? Well, that's to the fact. They make a date to meet me this morning near the bank. I don't know that he was going to make him stick up until she's happened. You ought to be a little more careful about the companions you take. They may get you into trouble sometime. Oh, uh, yeah. You're the wise guy, aren't you? Huh? Three means to be seen. But I can tell you this, John Smith. Our fingerprint man will be over here in a half hour, and it won't be long until we find out just how wise a guy you are. Fingerprinting of the dead bandit and his wounded companion identify them as Rudolph Planter and Anthony Caspar, respectively. Both had served time in the Illinois State Penitentiary at Joliet for bank robbery. And Rudolph Planter had also served four other sentences. The warden of Joliet Prison furnishes complete criminal records of both men. And in addition, sends the Los Angeles Police Department fingerprints and photographs of Ed Francis, brother of the dead bandit. A checkup of the acquaintances of the gang brings the two short-time lady friends of the men into the investigation. We understand you girls were acquainted with Ed and Rudolph Franca and Tony Casper. Hmm? Uh, we never heard of them. Well, they may have given you different names. Here are the pictures. You recognize them? You can speak freely. All we want is an identification. We haven't got anything on you. You're damn right you haven't. Well, do they look like anyone you ever saw before? Yes. Sure, we was out with them one night. Just a little fool. These two yes, all right. Sure, they did. But I'm not going to get into any jam on a ton of them. Well, go on. Well, we was out with them. They said they were from Chicago, and they were going to pull a big job the next day. Was that the day the Hellman Bank was robbed? Yeah, I guess it was. Say, that's right, Ella. Remember one of them made a crack about having a date with his banker the next morning? I don't know anything about it. I'm through with you. Throwing a gut to a cop. You got us all wrong, sister. All we want is a corroborative identification. Well, I don't care what you want. You're a copper, and you ain't going to get nothing out of me. Faced with his record from Joliet and the further identification of his girlfriend, Caspar admits his participation in the robbery, but refuses to give any information regarding the two missing bandits. 
fingerprints of Ed Planter are printed by the thousands and sent to every police station and sheriff's office in the United States. More than two months passed. And then one November afternoon at the busy corner of the loop in Chicago, patrolman Frank Griffin, off duty and in plain clothes, recognizes a man answering the description of Ed Planter talking to two other men. As Griffin approaches the group, the two men flee. But Planter reaches for a gun in his hip pocket. Griffin seizes Planter, pinning his arms to his body. Don't be a tap, Planter. Look at that cloud. Don't start anything. Well, what's the big idea? Quiet, listen. They want to talk to you down at headquarters. If you come along quietly, I won't handcuff you. Yeah, but I... If you raise hell, they'll try to get away. This cloud may be tougher on you than I'll be. Well, okay. Come on, then. Now, tell me, Griffin, what the big idea is. Nothing much. Only the captain wants to talk to you. What about? A bank robbery in Los Angeles. Los Angeles? I've never been in Los Angeles. Well, you can explain all that to the captain. I'm through with you when I get you down to headquarters. Hey, how come you're in plain clothes, Griffin? You was in harness a couple of days ago. Yeah, well, I... I got promoted. Yeah? Sure. Can you get on the inside now, huh? Yeah, that's right. There's your pal Shields on the corner. <laughs> He's still in the harness. Yeah, but Joe'll get a break, too, one of these days. Hello, Frank. Who's your pal? Joe, this fellow's wanted for murder. There's a gun in his pocket. Get it. Okay. Now, I'll lie you, though. Give me the bracelet, Joe. Uh, what the... <laughs> now, Ed, I'm still a harness bull, but I happen to be off duty right now and without a gun. Good job, Frank. I got the SOS you flashed with your eyes. Boy, was I nervous. I thought I'd never run into anybody. Well, I'll be a platoon here. I could have got away all the time. <laughs> Bayer, now promoted to the detective force, accompanies Captain James Bean to Chicago, and the two officers bring Edward Planter back to Los Angeles to face trial on charges of first-degree murder and robbery. In December 1925, Caspar, now sufficiently recovered from his wounds, and Planter go on trial before a jury of 12 women, the first all-female jury in the history of California. For 83 hours, the ladies of the jury argue the case. Eleven standing for hanging and twelve and the twelfth set upon for acquittal. Finally, at a few minutes before twelve on New Year's Eve, they compromise on life in prison. With New Year's bells ringing and whistles squeaking, the jury returns its verdict. The attorney for the defense leaps to receive. Your Honor, this is a miscarriage of justice. I will appeal this decision. Are we to work? I believe that a second trial was result in these men getting what they actually deserve. They should be sentenced to hang. Well, uh, in that case, will the court permit me a moment to speak to my client? Yes, certainly. Your Honor, upon further consideration, I and my clients are prepared to accept the verdict of the jury and the sentence of the court. Shortly afterwards, Ed Planter and Tony Caspar are en route to Folsom Prison. The fourth bandit was never apprehended, but police vigilance has not relaxed in the search for him. Oscar Bayer, in reward for his bravery, received a citation from Chief Davis, 
a promotion to the detective bureau, and a share of a $2,300 reward given by the Hellman Bank and the California Bankers Association. This brave officer who had escaped death many times before he foiled the bank robbers, who had battled with German U-boats in the English Channel during the war, was a member of the Pursuit Squadron 478 of the Army Reserve Force, having learned to pilot an airplane following the war. He sold the first ship he owned, an old Jenny, to a boy in Alhambra, who killed himself crashing into high-tension wires. Bayer's second ship ran out of gas over the downtown police station and crashed at Vermont and Third. Bayer escaped with a few scratches. Unafraid, Bayer buys a monocoupe. And one bright, sunshiny day in 1929, he takes off from Rogers Airport, accompanied by officer's passenger, for a short hop to Clover Field in Santa Monica. A few minutes later, the glistening red ship drops on the Clover Field in a perfect three-point landing. And Bayer is greeted by a friend whom he has been teaching to fly. Hello, Johnson. Hello, Oscar. Well, days are fine, huh? Yeah. You know my pal, Pussinger? Oh, all right. Yeah, all right. Well, what about it, Johnson? You want to take another lesson? Sure. You know, Pussinger, this guy can teach me more about handling a stick in five minutes than any of these other birds can in a day. Yeah, Oscar knows his stuff, all right. Come on, you guys. This battery's going to my head. Come on, let's go, Johnson. Okay. So long, Puss. Be back in a little while. Okay, Oscar. So long. mechanical red bird skims across the green of the air drone, sees the top of the glass, and falls toward the heavens. Hurtling effortlessly, it is soon a thousand feet in the air. Below lies the panorama of Southern California, a glimmering jewel in the noonday sun. The mountains to the east, the desert beyond shimmering in the east. Below the matchless blue of Santa Monica Bay, half circles of the throbbing white scallop of the beach. Toward the west, the mysterious peak of the Channel Islands. A day to dream. A day to soar. A shelf goes up from the field. The monocoup falters in his flight. Turns over. Walks into a spin. Hurtles earthward. Down. Down.
modern motor cars are built to give you almost perfect performance. But you can't expect them to deliver it with inferior gasoline. To get the very best out of your car, why not try a tank full of Rio Grande cracked gasoline with tetraethyl? This is the gasoline that delivers millions of miles of dependable service to police cars, fire engines, and other emergency equipment here in the great southwest. If you want the truth about your car, Rio Grande Crack will tell you whether you need repairs or a change in gasoline. Next time you need oil, why not try Sinclair Opaline? This splendid oil is extra refined, giving longer life. Also, it is sold only in tamper-proof extra major cans. It sells for only 25 cents. For a better oil... At the price of cheap bulk oil, insist on Sinclair Opaline. Rick Lindsley saying good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company. <laughs>